Hello there. ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to talk about, honestly, the character in this episode. Absolutely. We're returning to the dark side today, so I can see why you're excited. But also, I think this might be our most interesting episode yet, because we're doing a primary character and a secondary character that are maybe slightly less featured in the pop culture canon of Star Wars, the general canon of Star Wars. Obviously, huge players in the Clone Wars, huge players in stories outside of that. We're going from these main players to someone a little bit more off the beaten path, and I think that's really cool today. Yeah, I completely agree. I We were talking about this in the pre-show. Droids are awesome, right? And yeah. to me, they almost inhabit the same space as like a pet almost in the fact that like they're they can be really cute and like you don't really understand what they're saying but then also my favorite pets or not pets rather (laughs) my favorite droids are the ones who have super sass you know and they can they have a personality and so it's exciting to see droids designed for combat and i never really got into like super tactical droids until the clone wars yeah and i think it's a really nice touch honestly well said. Absolutely. Yeah. Droids are a major part of the Star Wars universe. We cannot have the Star Wars universe without them. And obviously they're going to be a recurring theme on the show because they're a major part of Star Wars. R2 and 3PO are like the caretakers of the story. Like they are the people that the story follows them through all these eras and decades and stuff. And 3PO really is the narrator of Star Wars in a lot of ways. And R2 is kind of the the hero you don't really understand as an audience member, but we understand with what he's doing. And so I think it's cool that like George started off the Star Wars movies with droids, quite literally 20 minutes of just droids hanging out and talking before we even see our protagonist in the movie on the farm and getting you used to this world and how droids actually have autonomy in this universe. Even though there's a lot of droids that are more like the basic computer AI stuff. And then there's droids all the way to R2 and 3PO where if they'd never been wiped, Looking at you, Arch has never been wiped. The personality they have is unbelievable, right? They've got decades of personality and quirks built up. Has R2 never been wiped? R2's never been wiped. 3PO has been a couple times, but not very much, honestly. But R2's never been wiped, and that's part of why he is the way he is. So something they explored in the old canon, and I wish they would have explored it in the sequel trilogy, a phrase I've said a couple times in my life. But in the old canon, Luke got to see some footage and some backlog data of Anakin's time with R2 during the Clone Wars. We're talking Luke post-Return of the Jedi, right? Because it's all there. R2's got it all there. You just got to ask him or you got to know to look for it. So why didn't R2 share any of that? I feel like R2 could have solved a lot of issues. I don't even know. I think R2's in the same boat a lot of us are in post-Revenge of the Sith. Anakin Skywalker really is dead. I don't think R2 knew, oh, Vader, that's Anakin. I think to him, his master was deceased and then he became part of the Antilles Organa family, the Alderaan stuff for 20 years, right? And then eventually he found his way to Luke. So yeah, it is interesting that they are machine, but they are people in Star Wars. Now, the Confederacy less, and that's part of what makes the CIS tick with their droids. And that's also the distinction. It's like Luke 
never wipes 3PO and R2 because they're his best friends. They're his pets in some ways, like you said. They're his family members. And then meanwhile, there's other people in the galaxy that they continually wipe their droids, similar to us defragmenting our computers and stuff, where it's, I just want this thing to do its one job and that's it. No learning, no building. So it is interesting, though, that we get some of those fun characters in all of Star Wars, sometimes through our droids like 3PO and K2S. And these are droids that have not been wiped and have these personalities and stuff. And that's really cool and unique to Star Wars. And once again, why it's not really sci-fi, it's a little bit more of the fun fantasy element where it's, oh, okay, in this universe, like machines have more personality. I'm into that. Yeah, that's a really good recap. And I like that. I love Chopper, but I think... Oh man, Chopper's wild. Yeah, Chopper's a hoot. And then I think one of my favorite scenes in Mando season three is when they go to the droid bar. That was interesting. I was like, wait, what? Droids just go hang out and refuel? That was nuts. Yeah, that's very Star Wars too, right? Which is hilarious, but that was crazy. Awesome. Yeah, they're all just like powering up. That's their drinks. It's just plugging in, chatting. (laughs) I'm all about it. So, What do droids even chat about? That's a great question. That's deep. It's 3PO. It's a lot of neuroses, but. Well, 3PO thinks he's human. In his defense, he's the most human of all the droids models right because he is for etiquette and protocol and he's a translator he's he's a host he's all these things right and so when you have someone that smart and then you never wipe them on top of that he was already programmed to be human and then he's just continually developed who he is over time yes it's wonderful you know today it's like our first venture into the cis and this is gonna be something that comes up a lot on our show amon because it seems like similar to how we did our last episodes that this separatist keyword, this droid keyword, even this battle droid keyword and stuff, this stuff's going to come up in the future, right? The clone trooper republic keyword comes up again in the future. It's really exciting because there's a lot of keywords and tags in this box set, and we might not immediately see the synergy. Dathomirin, Night Sister, separatist. It's exciting. Oof. Yeah, it's really exciting. And we're gushing about droids here, and then we're burying the lead, which is Asajj today. Very compelling and deep Star Wars character. And one of the reasons we love Star Wars characters like this very character, there's a lot going on, a lot of emotions, a lot of nuance and stuff. And we're going to try to cover that today in our episode and also talk about how you play Asajj, how you play Kalani, and how you play these B1 battle droids on the table. But before we do that today, Iman, we got to get into a little bit of business and thank our supporters. Absolutely. Hello There is supported by Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site your resource for everything Shatterpoint. We've got a ton of releases coming out. So in addition to Dooku and Obi-Wan, we've got Grievous, Luminara, the Inquisitor box set, and then of course the You Cannot Run pack. Yeah, it's, I'm still floored. This is our July and I'm also being like, how are we going to pay for this? But I'm very excited about it, finding a way to pay for it. And Mr. Laser is a place to do it if you don't have a local store to support. And we highly recommend Mr. Laser's site. Of course, you can always Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash lowthercast. If you enjoy our show, would like to join our Discord community, consider supporting us. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. It means a lot. Absolutely. And so we are recording pretty close to our last episode. So just one name today, Jameson, who is our newest Jedi Knight slash Sith Warrior. Thank you, Jameson. But we must also thank our producers. We have right. two... Powerful force users who are supporting this podcast through the producer level. We have Rusty, who is the 
Jedi Survivor. And then, of course, we have Emperor Kevin. Thank you guys for making the show happen. It really means a lot. All right, Amon, let's jump right into Asajj Ventress today. Sith Assassin. I love these like distinctions and keywords that AMG adds. Like This is Asajj Ventress, Sith Assassin. That's the snapshot we have of the character today. Similar to the snapshot we had last episode with General Anakin Skywalker, right? Very different from Anakin at a different point. So that's the way we're going to approach today. But some quick lore on Asajj, because you might not be familiar with her, but I don't want to spoil too much because she's one of these characters that if you're interested in diving in, I highly recommend doing it with things like the Clone Wars and such. So Asajj Ventress was a Dathomirian female. Her story is kind of interesting because she's been many things. She's been a night sister. She's been an assassin. She's been a Sith. She's been a Jedi. She's been a slave. She's been a bounty hunter. So she is one of these main Star Wars characters in the sense of she ebbs and flows, right? So in her early life, she was taken from the Night Sisters, and she was taken to the world of Rat Attack, where she was raised as a slave to the guy who took her, Halstead. So eventually she was orphaned from this servitude to this guy, ironically by a group of Weequay pirates, and she was discovered by a Jedi Knight, Kai Narek. And Kai Narek was sent to this planet on Ratatat to fight, actually, these pirates, and he found this small child who had used the force in front of him, right? It's that thing where Jedi are in the right place at the right times, and they witness things like this. But this is how Ahsoka was found by Jedi Master Plo. So Narek in, ends up raising Ventress and teaches her to use the ways of the force of the Jedi. And they actually protect the people of Rat Attack for some time. And she grows up there for a decade. Now, unfortunately, the pirates come back in greater force and her master is killed by the pirates. Just a stray shot. You know, it's a thing that Qui-Gon says to Anakin in episode one, like, Anakin's like, nobody can kill a Jedi. And Qui-Gon's like, I wish that were. And it's a sense of one stray shot can just kill a Jedi. They're not superhuman. They are just in tune with the force, right? In this moment of being enraged and lost, she embraces the dark side of the force. Not yet a Sith, though, just fully embracing the dark side of the force. She ends up getting rid of all these pirates real quick with the dark side, killing them all because they killed her master. And eventually word gets around that she's a force sensitive using the dark side in the universe. And it falls on the ears of Sith Lord Count Dooku. What do you know? And he seeks her out and eventually makes her a dark acolyte or essentially his Sith apprentice. It's funny because we always have this pattern of the Sith where they're always having an apprentice to eventually usurp their own master and supplant them and become the new master. So Sidious did have a long game plan of taking over Sidious at some point, And Ventress was going to help him do that. Sidious employs Ventress as a Sith assassin for a long time, but not really a full apprentice. It's kind of that situation I was talking about Amon with the Maul episode where it's like, for a long time, Sidious did not really even give Maul the full Sith title per se, right? He just was using Maul as a dark side assassin. Really made him work for it, which is not nice, but and it is what it is. And Dooku does this a lot in the Clone Wars with Asajj. She actually gets really good at fighting the Republic. She's really good at killing clones. She ends up like fighting Obi-Wan and Anakin, both in old canon and current canon, multiple times. And she ends up winning a lot in these battles against Jedi and Sith. Uh, she's a major player in the CIS, but more behind the scenes, right? Because she's this assassin. Well, eventually, as the war progresses, Sidious gets worried because Ventress is getting really powerful. So Sidious actually wants Dooku to remove her, just deal with her, get rid of her, 
She was a good tool for a while. Between Sidious and Dooku, like basically working to get rid of Ventress and using their own CIS droid forces to get rid of her, they think they kill her, but she actually survives, makes it out, sneaks out, gets back to Dathomir. And now we're at this full circle moment where she's fully sworn off the life of the Jedi. She's fully sworn off the life of the Sith, right? And now she's finally brought back into her coven of sisterhood with the Dathomirian people. And now her goal is to kill Dooku. So a lot of stuff happens, and we'll expand on this more in the Mother Talzin and Savage Press lore segments in the future. But there's a lot of Dathomirian elements, which are super cool, that happen in the story. Some tragic stuff. In fact, a lot of the Dathomirians get killed, and Ventress is once again orphaned again. She's missing her family again. It's just, she's a lot of tragedy in her life. But eventually we get to a part in canon, actually in book canon, where she encounters Jedi Master Quinlan Voss. His one goal is to actually assassinate Dooku. If you take out Dooku, you know, the Republic thinks that that's it, right? Because Dooku really is one of the supreme leaders of the CIS. Republic does not know about Sidious, right? Voss partners with Ventress because Ventress is working as a bounty hunter this time in canon. And eventually the two of them fall in love, which is very interesting. And she also trains Voss the way the Night Sisters wield the dark side of the force as a weapon, which is very interesting. And they end up going to hunt Dooku. They eventually find Dooku. And Asajj finally loses to Dooku by trying to save her lover, Quinlan Voss, through Sith Lightning. And she actually dies, Aban, to Sith Lightning to protect Quinlan. And eventually, this actually helps Quinlan Voss become more of a true Jedi master because he'd always dabbled on the dark side, similar to our May stuff we talked about. And through her death, it motivates him to renounce the dark side fully. And then she was actually honored by the Jedi Council for her sacrifice, which is crazy. And then eventually her body is taken to Dathomir to rest with the other people on Dathomir. So yeah, it's a very tragic story she has, but it is a very cool story. It's a very cool story. And Asajj quickly became one of my favorite characters. I think when I first saw her in the original like 2D animated series, the Gendi stuff, I was like, wow, that's who is this? And she looked quite imposing in that art style as well with that bald head and everything. And obviously we learn more about her and she retains that look. It just evolves into the Clone Wars aesthetic. I think one of my favorite parts about Star Wars and the mythos surrounding it is how these characters have these very real life challenges and issues. And Asajj is a classic example of someone who experiences severe PTSD. Yes. It's incredible. Like she has nightmares about her past, which I guess drives her to the dark side. She blames herself for the failures of others or like things that she can't control. Like when Voss turns to the dark side, spoilers. Yeah. She blames herself for it, just like she blamed herself for her master's death. She portrays a numbness to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. She like barely shows emotion except for anger and rage. And then. Also, she's like super reactive when experiencing traumatic feelings. So when you do get emotion, right, it's, as I mentioned, it's just deadly outbursts. And then you want to take that a step further, right? I'm not trying to psychoanalyze Asajj, (laughs) but it's so interesting to really think about is that if you look at her past, much of her anger stems from this idea of that she has been isolated. Yeah. She got a lot of abandonment issues. Yeah. Being sold into slavery losing her masters, losing her sisters, and then I guess at one point losing her love. And then eventually her life, it's much of her loss is represented by the fact that she doesn't have a family. 
Yeah, even the Dooku thing is a sham, right? Because he takes her in tutelage. He teaches her how to fight better, how to use the dark side. He's a master to her. And then he abandons her too, right? So it's just like her life is just this constant cycle. What else is she supposed to think? Yeah, and the Dooku thing is actually even worse because she looks up to him as a father figure and Mm -hmm. he just betrays her. And then instead of thinking like, wow, Dooku played me, she's, oh, I wasn't good enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. And that's why I think like ultimately she has one of the coolest arcs in Star Wars. And I probably say that a lot in general, but it's true. There's some great arcs in Star Wars. And I think she's endured so much and then she's able to overcome all of that trauma. Mm. She's able to love others eventually, help others eventually. And to be able to shoulder that, that burden, if you will, Mm. I think shows a lot of strength of character. And that's really why I'm a big fan of Ventress. Honestly, not because of her past, right? She doesn't let her past define it. She defines her story in a way in that she becomes a hero. And I think that's, it's very compelling, honestly. She dies a Jedi's death, which is crazy, right? Protecting someone else in need and giving your life for something greater. And yeah, she gives her life for someone she loves. And this time Dooku actually gets her. Amazing character arc for her to go from like child to orphan to Padawan to Jedi Knight to orphan again to dark side user that's on her own to Sith Acolyte to bounty hunter to bounty hunter that kind of goes Jedi again at the end. It's very powerful and very cool. She's also really good at fighting him on, and we're going to talk about that today in strategy, of course, but she is super adept in Jarkai and Makashi, which is Dooku's very unique fencing talked about. So the fact that she's also a master fighter on top of this assassin stuff is very cool too. But she's one of those characters that like, just like Ahsoka, she took off so much that she's reached like a level of recognizable pass the canon in some ways where it's like we have a lot of characters in Star Wars that if you only watch the movies, you might not know about them, but there are characters every once in a while where it's like Ahsoka's there now. And I think Asajj's there now. They recognize their silhouette, at least, even if they have not seen the animated features of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually this really cool episode where Asajj and Ahsoka team up, which you should definitely check out. Speaking of both of them. Spire's Shatterpoint in a lot of ways, the mixing of light and dark primaries. Exactly. It's cool. Yeah, it's very exciting, but we got to talk about Asajj today and our strategy because she's a corset character, and this is our last corset episode. I didn't say that yet, but we've been talking about in all these episodes how we think these characters are not only be staples of the game for obviously the foreseeable future because they are corset characters, but I think ideally these are staple characters of the game forever, being corset characters. And I think diving deeper into their strategy trying to understand it, what it means right now, and of course, how it expands in the future, look at these keywords in a lot of ways, I'm very excited about that, is an interesting discussion point today. But going through her stats and abilities really quick, she has a stamina of nine and a durability of three. She costs eight squad points and has brings a force of three to your group. And her keywords are many and interesting. She has Dathomirian, Force User, Night Sister, and Separatist Alliance. Of course, that CIS keyword I've mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah, a lot of tags, four actually, which I think might be tied. Yeah. No, I think a lot of characters have four. Now that I think about it, Super Commandos have four. Maul has four. Okay, so four is not a lot, I guess. (laughs) Maybe the higher end of the average, but very cool. Obviously, we see Dathomir and Night Sister. 
Which is exciting because we know Mother Talzin is coming with the Night Sisters. That's right. So very curious to see how you can mix and match. Maybe you can Rasage with the Night Sisters and Savage. And that also canonically makes sense because Savage and Asage, which they're not there, there's that rhyme again. They fight Dooku together too. So Yeah, and what are your thoughts about this average force of three and this the cost of eight? Yeah, her Actual stats itself, I'm very okay with. 3-4 seems like the standard. 8 squad points seems like the standard. So she's going to live in that, I guess, where most primaries will live. It just yet to be determined where on that bell curve she's going to be. AMG talks about just creating a bell curve and trying to keep it tight. By the end of the day, there's going to be, to talk about MCP very quickly, there's going to be weaker 4s and very strong 4s. So yeah, we'll figure out where she ends up. But I like the 9 stamina i don't mind the nine because ahsoka is also nine and i feel like that's where you have maybe the less tanky primaries asajj and ahsoka are both very like fast attackers in the sense that asajj is more of an assassin and ahsoka likes to dart around and maybe use her agility i like the durability though a lot it makes me wish maul had three yeah three is really nice it's basically been shown to us so far in the game that like that is just as high as you get on durability, right? So for her to be in that spot of the three is nice. And also they've shown to us too, Amon, like you said with Maul, that they're willing to do primaries that aren't necessarily three durability. Yeah, and I'm not really sure if that has come up too much given the fact that, I don't know, I feel like we I haven't really taken very minis off the board yet. But the ones that I have done are two durability, but that's with the intent of I'm just going to take that guy out. Two durability can last you a whole two struggles. Three, I think, is where it gets tough. You could definitely take some characters out with this Asajj Ventress Sith Assassin. And let's just get into those abilities real quick, Amon, because she's got some really cool abilities, and she does have a lot. We have five on this card, of course, with the identity. So her first ability is an active ability called Dathomirian Dexterity. It costs one force. Each character in this unit may jump. This unit may use this ability two times during its activation instead of the normal one. Whoa. Yeah, this is very exciting. We again see the parallels between light side and dark side. So Anakin is the light side force user who can jump. So in this case, we have Asajj who can jump as well, which is really cool because it allows, again, the idea of that as a core set is introducing the different ways that you can use the force. In this case, Dathomirin dexterity, air quotes here. I love this a lot because... What this allows you to do, because you can use it twice, is you can cover a lot of ground with Asajj. A jump is effectively a dash tool move, right? But there's n- any elevation. Okay. So you can just dash, dash, advance. That's, that's incredible. That's really good. You're scoring what you want to score, really, honestly, if you want to score something. But also it can get you where you need to be elevation-wise, which we're learning is a huge feature in this game. It's something we expanded on more in the bonus episodes, where it's like, Amon was talking about the strength of contesting those points higher up on the map and being at the highest elevation point, stuff like that. So she's going to help you with that. And I love this clause that she gets this extra break the rules thing, right? You can use this two times during your activation instead of the normal one. It's just making it very clear to you that it's, okay, she's got jump with a little bit more. Yeah, and I think it speaks to her character in general, right? Like Anakin can swing twice because he's super aggressive. Asajj is an assassin, and assassins will vault around and leap around and have some acrobatic flourishes, which are very cool. Absolutely. 
The next ability is an active ability that I have enjoyed quite a bit. That's right. And it's the classic force push with a hefty cost of two force. Choose a character in this unit and an enemy character within three of that character. Push the chosen enemy character three away from the chosen allied character. Two range, two range, three sticks and a base of distance, really. If you want to go max distance here. Okay, so Amon, this is our first instance of this coming up on the show. You and I have talked about Force Push a lot off mic. It's tough to talk about because, first of all, it's very expensive, as it should be. But second of all, is this the best ability we've seen in Shatterpoint yet? I believe so. Okay, yeah. That's what you and I have been thinking off mic. And then now that we've been doing some demos, it's becoming more apparent. Yeah, I have really enjoyed the use cases that Force Push can allow you to do. Okay. Force Push is great because you don't necessarily have to rely on shoves in your damage tree to win a point. What you can also do is completely just do something else with Asajj, like focus on another character entirely. And then, oh, by the way, I'm just going to yeet you over there. And that could be a swing of two points. It's a way for you to completely throw a character out of his zone. Maybe if your opponent is playing a character that isn't very mobile, that can severely hamper their ability to engage with your forces. The possibilities are truly endless, and it's really it's a really nice ability, honestly. I'm very happy that she has it. I couldn't agree more. It's very exciting, and we've already seen, I assume this is something that's going to come up more in the future, and this is one of those things where get used to it, also get used to the cost. Two is a lot, right, Amon? Two is, but you have to really think about the resource pool in itself, and it's, okay, ideally you get 12 force per game, right? If you take the law of averages, which is three and three, and you recycle your deck at least once. I have seen games where both struggles have won within one order deck. That's the most exciting, yeah. Yeah, which I think is an anomaly for sure. Yeah. But spending two force to force push is very tempting. But I like how they've balanced it with the idea of that you could also just force jump twice, you know? Yeah. What you could also do is have this crazy turn where Asajj is engaged, activates, maybe take somebody out, force jump, force push somebody. And that is incredible distance, incredible range, incredible control. It's, it's very exciting. Very strong swing turn. And we're yeah. seeing now why she probably shouldn't have that 11 stamina for sure. You're blowing a lot of your resources. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But moving on with her abilities, Amon, she has a reactive ability called Repost. After a melee attack targeting Asajj is resolved, Asajj may use this ability. If the attack contained one or more fail results, the attacking unit suffers two damage. I like this one. This is yep. the melee equivalent to a Jedi De blocking you. Deflect. Deflect, which I believe Anakin has. So again, a dark mirror to Anakin, but then switching up the range or the attack type, which is very cool. She learned this from Dooku. Yeah, that fencing you mentioned earlier. That's right. It's, again, something you can't really count for, but when it happens, it's nice. It's free, though. That's what I'm saying. You just got to keep track of it. Don't miss it, because this is free damage if you're paying attention. And maybe it deters your opponents, too, like we talked about with the deflect. You may not super hard play around it, but the time you don't play around it and it bites you, it's really going to hurt. Because it could end an activation in the middle, right? Potentially. It could give you a wound. That's like the ideal perfect situation, but most situations where it's going to happen is you're trying to deal with Asajj, you get some fails, and she gets some free damage back at you. 
because she's deflecting the blade away and then getting you with it. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I like it a lot. And it's really funny, actually, if she's fighting Anakin and Anakin does a double swing, you can still roll a failure two times in a row. Exactly. So you can deal four damage to Anakin during his turn. That's cool. It's pretty neat. She's got another reactive ability, though, Jesse. Slip away. When another allied Dathomirian or Separatist Alliance character targets an enemy character that is engaged with one or more characters in this unit with an attack, this unit may use this ability. One character in this unit that is engaged with the target character may immediately reposition. If it does, the unit gains a hunker. So if Ashaj is fighting someone in melee range and someone shoots at her target, she gets a free reposition and a hunker. It's cool with the droids, right? Because they want to just be shooting from range, right? So the fact mm-hmm. that they are giving her free movement shenanigans is, is, you know, and the hunker is really cool. Maybe she doesn't want to be engaged anymore, right? And this could make her really slippery, quite honestly. Yeah, I like the idea of her using a distraction to get away, like a ninja almost, or an assassin. That's right. I like it. And then also, again, this speaks to her ex- extreme maneuverability. She can go anywhere she wants on the board, and your opponent can't do anything about it. It's excellent. Yeah, I love how mobile she is. And closing out her mobility and her other cool stuff like that with her assassin features that Amon mentioned, she has an identity of Sith assassin. When a character in this unit wounds an enemy unit, notice it doesn't say a distinction like Anakin's did with the primary or secondary stuff. After the effect is resolved, that character may recover three times. If it is a wounded primary or secondary unit, so now we're going to do the distinction, it may also dash or advance nuts. If it wounded a primary or secondary unit, that's where the distinction comes in, it may also advance or jump. If it wounded a primary unit, refresh to force. There's a lot of if and ors in here, Come on. Yeah, again, a very interesting parallel to Anakin in the way that his attacks are set up for this is where the fun begins. Yeah, and his are only inspiring Republic people. Yeah. And hers are just her squat. I mean, there's no like re- separatists or republic. It's just a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of it because you don't need to have that synergy here. She's an assassin. Yeah. When an assassin takes out a target, the whole squad benefits. So I like the distinction there, but it's very cool because you're no matter where you decide to implement her on the battlefield, you're getting something. And this is, we talked about that predictability that Anakin has, right? Where your opponent, if you're playing against Anakin, you probably know he's going to go for your primary or secondary. Yeah. With Asajj, you can't really plan for it. She's happy taking anything out. She can heal three times or remove three conditions. She can just advance or jump or refresh two force. There's some cool stuff here. And again, I like that she can refresh the two force because if you want to blow the resources on a really big swing turn, you have an ability to refresh that, that pool. Yeah, and and like now maybe force pushes online, right? Like you use the pool to great efficacy to get into position with some jumps and then swing at somebody. But then you wounded them because they were teed up. And if they were a primary unit, you're getting two force back and maybe now you can just force push that secondary away and score even more. I love though that her stuff I'm on in keeping with our dark side theme so far in the show thus far, selfish. Her stuff's selfish. Anakin's is when he is wounding primaries and secondaries. All the Republic is benefiting. He's the poster child, like we said. He's on the propaganda. But for her, it's 
when she's taking people out, doesn't matter who they are, support, secondary, primary, she's getting a bunch of benefits for herself. And that's the snapshot of what we have Asajj today, because I didn't do her whole lore, but the Asajj we have today is the apprentice of Dooku, the Sith assassin. Yeah, the person who's fighting with Anakin and Obi-Wan throughout being sent to do, I guess, assassinations and other things like that. Yeah, She's fun, man. I'm a big fan of Asajj. And immediately when I start thinking about how I want to play her, it's hard to ignore the force push because it's such a pivotal part of her unit card. It's almost so interesting, the fact that it takes away from her uniqueness. Okay. Because it's such an amazing ability. So if I look at Asajj without force push, for conversation's sake, she's, again, got amazing maneuverability, agility, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And she can be a battery for your team in the fact that if you put her in the right positions, she can indeed refresh your force, which allows your units to do the cooler things that they are able to do on their card, which is exciting. But when you throw a force push into the mix, I find her, I find this to be the X factor because I will almost always want to just throw Asajj in reserve. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation to talk about because of the way that reserve works with the droids and Kalani. That's right. But why would I want to put Asajj in reserve? Because I can activate her last and force push somebody. It's like a throw in MCP. It's like going last with Hulk, going last with Thanos. 100%. It's, you're rearranging the board fully. Yeah. It is interesting, though, too, Amon, because getting at a completely, like, a somewhat didactic level here, but it is funny that, like, her force push to me is obviously amazing. Amon and I have now dubbed it the best ability in Shatterpoint thus far, and I stand by that, and I think we're going to see it more in the future. But it is interesting that her force push in some ways is at odds with her kit, which is mobility, damage, repositioning, removing models and removing any model she wants to. Like, oh, we saw that she gets benefits from removing supports when Anakin does not. So obviously Anakin can totally ace a support. No big deal. But with her, she actually gets a benefit. So it's funny to me that it's a little bit odds at her play style, but I, that's also the X factor that makes it interesting, like you said, because well, after she does her play style, oh, I've got some force left over. I'm just going to push that primary away that I'm a little bit afraid of. Yeah, great use case. And another interesting concept when playing Asajj is if you save her for last, then you have to reduce the potential efficacy of the units you activate before her because they can't use their force abilities because you're saving them for Asajj. Ah. So that's, I guess, part of that double-edged lightsaber. That's right. Is you telegraph it actually in a sense. Because if Asajj goes into reserve and your opponent realizes that you're not using your force costs abilities, then maybe they can try to create multiple scenarios in which you have to be forced to be able to handle two different scenarios in terms of a push instead of one. Now, again, I still think Asajj can do it, right? Double jump, smack somebody, shove them, force push the other guy. But I think a canny opponent will make that not so easy to do. But they might also see your play that you're saving up for Asajj's big swing turn and they might pile on her. That's true. Which could be bad. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because they pile on her. Let's say they wound her. Yeah. She activates. She comes back. But now Forest pushes three. That's right. Big difference. A huge difference. Huge. We'll touch on more Forest push here shortly. I'm very certain of it. But we got to move into her damage trees. Yeah, this is very exciting. Oh, I guess we'll start with Makashi because that's like the signature vibe. That's what Dooku taught her. 
It's what Dooku taught her. So I find Asajj to be very an interesting character because you look at both stances for most primaries and you think this one's clearly the defensive one and this one's clearly the offensive one. But with Asajj, it's just what kind of offense do you want? Got it. Which is, it's, it's cool. It is cool. Yeah. So Makashi, you're going to start with no ranged attack, but you're going to have seven dice and a melee, five range defense and six melee defense. Her expertise from defense is called duelist training. One expertise, one block, two to three, two blocks, four plus, two blocks and a jump. Kind of similar to Beskar armor in a sense. That's pretty cool. Twin lightsabers is her offensive expertise. One to three, two crits, (laughs) four expertise, two crits and a hit, strike, and then five plus three crits. Wow. it's a lot. A lot of damage, a lot of crits. Yeah, she's... In theory, if you roll a crit every attack, which you should get at least one on seven dice. That's true. Then you're going to get an auto two crits, which is exciting. I also like to lower this because now we've seen it with two characters. Actually three, because Maul's double-bladed saber. But we're seeing that like some of the dev mindset is, oh, these characters that use two lightsabers or a double-bladed lightsaber, just more blades. There's chances for higher spikes of damage because you got more coming at you. Yeah, completely agree. I'm excited to see Grievous, is what I'm saying. That's, yeah, that's going to be a lot of blades. Jeez. That's right. If we go to Form 2 Makashi, we're going to start at the beginning, which is a damage and a recover. Interesting. So, yeah, you'll notice a lot about Asaja's kit is that she has the ability to recover, which kind of makes sense. You strike, hit hard, you go back. It's the Dooku. Get your, balance your humors, and then you go back out there and do it all over again. Yeah, Dooku's always like that master swordsman, right? Where he's looking for an opening. And so he's always like blocking and then getting you under and then moving back, blocking. So I can see this being her version of Dooku's Makashi. Yep, exactly. So this is a very interesting tree. And so we're going to start with the simplest route. Is you go up, you get a jump and two damage. If we go up, we get two recovers. And then we get a shove and three damage. So putting that whole top tree at a total of six damage, but three recovers and a jump and a shove. So very kind of control, hold the point stuff. Yeah, it's effectively is the best way I can explain it is how you explained it, which is this is just the classic Dooku way. Fight, recover, poise, fight, fight, poise. Yeah. And I like it. She so can do six damage, which is pretty exciting. But keep in mind here, no conditions. Nice. Interesting. Straight duelist, baby. Notable. Yeah. It's like she's just sustaining. Yeah, she's just, she's going to do it the Dooku way, which is, I'm just going to outsword you. I'll find an opening you eventually. Know? Yeah, get that crit. Exactly. Through. Which is really fun. And you'll notice in this whole damage tree, there are no status conditions that she can apply. All right. It's the Makashi way. The Makashi way. So now as we go on the bottom path, we're going to start with a shove and two damage. And then if we continue down the most bottom path, we're going to get another shove with three damage and then three recovers. It's, man, it's very similar but different from that top path because once again keep in mind we're starting with that recovery and that one damage and then we're going into the things Amon just said so once again Amon six damage three recovers instead of the two recovers on the top path but then two shoves and then the top path has the six damage two recovers the shove and the jump so it's it's just how you want to duel this out how do you want to do this duel yeah it's pick your movement either you move and then they get shoved or you just double shove because you're just Yep. Flinging those swords in their face. Yeah. Love it. 
You can't see me in the camera right now, but I'm swinging my hands around. Perfect. I can see you. They can't see you, but they visualized, you can see me. They visualized it. Yeah. If you're listening, do it with me. Now, if we go back to the starting point, because I think it makes the most sense just from an auditory perspective, and we go to that second tile, which is the shove and two damage on the bottom path. Because we have to. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. From there, instead of going for that shove and three damage, you can go up to a reposition and a damage, and then you get the active ability. Now, if we go back to Asajj's active ability, this is really cool because when an active ability is on the damage tree, it does not require the force cost. Now, keep in mind that an active ability can only be used once per character activation. So if you've already done it with a force cost, then nothing really happens. Good thing about Asajj is she has two active abilities and you get to choose which one. Do you want to? Dathomir and Dexterity, which means I guess you could jump a third time, or I guess no, the second time for free, or do you want to force push, which is the most compelling, I think, choice. But this does have a lot of synergy on where it's like that second jump really matters now because you could pay for the first jump and then just get a second jump for free and like you're not breaking any rule states on her card. Yeah. It's fun, man. Like she, she can do some cool stuff. I think honestly, We've said that about every character, every unit in this game, and it remains to be the truth because every unit is just so well designed. It's incredible. Absolutely. And they all have things that they break the basic rule state slightly, and that's their identity. And part of this Dathomir and Dexterity and her Force Push are obviously a big part of her identity and the sense of the character, not the ability of Sith Assassin. But I, it's cool that it's on her tree. She can do it, and she has choices. Yeah, I dig it. So you're saying I can Force Push for free, Amon. I am saying you can force push for free. Ooh, it's getting real. It's getting super real. It might be too real. All right, Amon, it's time to move on to Jarkai. So you want to guide us through the Jarkai stats and expertise? Yeah, Jarkai is like a sideways Y. It's a Y-wing. Perfect. Love the Y-wing. Love the Y-wing. Classic. So with Jarkai, there are some differences actually in the expertise and the amount of dice being thrown. Defense stays the same, five at range and six in melee, but offense bumps up to eight, which matters. We're looking at Anakin numbers now? She has gone toe-to-toe with him. Oh, yeah. When you said the Gindy thing, I immediately, oh my gosh, immediately thought of Anakin and her fighting on the cliff in the rain. In the rainforest, yeah. And just so good. Yeah, just beating the crap out of each other. It was great. So if we go to aggressive defense, which I love that, her expertise. One expertise is going to get you a block and it's going to turn an opposing crit to a regular hit or strike. Then we're going to have two to three, which will give you two blocks and then same turn a crit to a hit. And then four plus, this is where it gets really interesting. And I think this might be the first time we've seen this on the podcast, right. which is you get two blocks, you get to turn a crit into a hit, and then you get to turn a regular hit into a failure. Uh-oh. Don't strike her in melee, and she does this to you. Mm-hmm. You're getting reposted. Yeah. Great synergies. Very nice. It's cool, though, too, Amon, that the Jarkai, you mentioned, like, the defensive stats are the same, which I find very interesting. I think that's our, also our first case on the podcast of that, which you mentioned at the top of the section. She's not really getting any defensive benefits. She's just getting more attack benefits. So the Jarkai is a little bit higher with the eight. But then... These defensive expertises are the exact same as the duelist training on Makashi, except you've got these little flourishes of extra stuff. So like on the one, 
you get the one block on on Makashi, but now you get the one block, but also reducing a, a crit down to a hit, right? So it's like, they're all like that. The two to three is the two blocks, but then you're reducing a crit down to a hit. So they're just better. The biggest difference, I think, is the four plus. You said, amazing on this form. But of course, in that duelist training, you do get the show, but less defensive bonuses on the four. Yeah, it's really immediately apparent that Makashi is that one-on-one fencing slash duelist training. Yeah. She's going for that one-on-one, and that's why when she hits, she crits, because she found that vulnerable spot. Whereas in this form, it's more about just perhaps aggressively swinging that lightsaber, maybe not with as much finesse, but potentially still as much damage. And we're going to see that. It's just interesting. It has more defense overall. Offense is the best defense. That's true. It's funny that like just her defensive stats are the same. So like really what you're looking at on her defenses are these expertise on the different forms and which one do you need at the given time? Yeah. We talked about a lack of conditions on in Makashi. We're going to see that in Jarkai, but before we do that, we're going to talk about offensive expertise. Now, very similar in terms of, I guess, the amount of hits you're getting, but the strength of those hits might vary. So one to three is a crit and a regular hit compared to two crits from Makashi. Four is going to get you two crits and a hit, which is the exact same as Makashi. And then five plus depends on how your opponent rolls and what their defensive expertise are. Yeah. Because this could end up being better. This is going to give you two crits and two hits versus the three crits from Makashi. Yeah, my takeaway from this, Amon, is that the Makashi is just more guaranteed. But the Jarkai has bigger flourishes, which is in canon right in line with these forms because we haven't talked about it yet. It's our second instance of Jarkai. My quick lore segment on that is it's the form that Jedi and Sith use when they're wielding two blades. So that's, of course, why Ahsoka uses it. Of course, Anakin uses Jarkai to fight Dooku briefly in episode two before Dooku disarms him of his second saber. And uh, yeah, Jarkai is a lot of uh, on the attack with two blades. That's the style. I dig it. I'd probably be a Jarkai user. Nice. So you get two different starting points here, which makes sense because I guess, yeah, two lightsabers, right? So Yeah, it's the Y-Wing. We got the Y-Wing engines. So yeah, maybe you lead with the right or you lead with the left. Now, if you take the upper left, I'm saying left, if you take the upper route, the top Y-Wing engine, <laughs> the top Y-Wing engine, you're here to dish out some pain. The first three tiles here, two damage of pop. Whopping six. A whopping six damage. Only three spots down the track. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Now, from there, that's when you get that bridge to that, I guess, the main body of the y That's right. And that's where you get the active ability. So you get four hits, which I think is pretty reasonable. You're dealing six damage, and then you get either a free force push or a free death of and dexterity. Love it. From there, I think it starts to mellow out a little bit. So after that, you're getting a damage. Fair. If you made it that far, you probably don't even need it. And then to top things off, to complete the tree, you're getting a pin and two damage. I like it. That's a lot of damage. That is nine damage. Nine damage. And of course, you get to ideally force push or force jump somewhere in there and then give them a pinned. And we've already harped on the power of pinned in this game. The power of pinned is really solid. If we go to the right engine of the Y-Wing, the bottom engine. That's right. This is where you get the conditions. So you can start out with a strain and a damage. Strain is pretty good. We like strains. Yeah. From there, you can disarm someone and a damage, and then you can 
expose them and deal a damage. That's tough. There's some good tools against the secondary, right? Just like completely nullify them. You can actually nullify the output of a primary as of well. Of course. Like a disarmed Anakin does not hit as hard. It's good. Very good. Now, if you get past the three damage and those three different conditions, then we go back to the active ability, followed by the three damage and the pinned, if you're able to complete the tree. Charkai's cool on her. Charkai's fun because I like the fact that you can really... Again, we talk about this idea of that sometimes dice don't dice. So maybe in your experience, you've found that the best way to take care of an opposing primary or secondary is slap a bunch of conditions on them. Yeah. I mean, we're learning it's like half the power of this game, right? Is a lot of this. And I like the Jarkai too, Amon, is like a lot of the power is in the expertise, right? Like there's more to it than just this tree. And it's interesting because we did our Ahsoka episode. And if you look at that Jarkai, it's very similar, where it's like the expertise is very, a lot of stuff happening, especially on the defensive side. So Jarkai is a very acrobatic fighting style. And then Ahsoka has the reverse Y-Wing. You start with the body of the Y-Wing and you eventually go into one of the engines, right? It's just, it's cool, the seeds of the design, but also the style of fighting is there. And uh, it's interesting that Jarkai is just like, a f- it's just like flurries of damage and then like little bits of either positioning or conditions, right? And we saw it on Ahsoka as well. You gotta make a decision the way you're going to go. Both these characters. I like it, man. I like the idea that it embodies the whole refined duelist aspect of using two swords versus the almost like a berserker style yes definitely swinging swinging and just trying to see what happens looking for openings and you just you're presenting so many questions with attacks that you know which way you're gonna go and it's, it makes a lot of sense also interesting and fun we said she's the response to anakin and ahsoka's the response to maul but we have a connection point between her and ahsoka here with their fighting styles and how their trees work out yeah, I think the developers have done a really good job of obviously marrying Maul, Ahsoka, Anakin, and Asajj, but then allowing them all to quasi-mirror each other in a way as well. Yeah, it's like the abilities can mirror and match in certain ways more monochromatically, but then we've got these trees, which just all have a lot of similarities and differences, and it's interesting to see the similarities pop up. Yeah, it is. Because I think the unit card is also like a way of their personality. So Asajj and Anakin might share a personality to a certain extent. But then again, there are only so many Force user fighting forms. And so the similarities between Ahsoka and Asajj pop up there, which is cool. And I'm sure we could probably ramble about that for a while. So Yeah, we could. But I guess a quick summary on, we've talked about how you play Asajj throughout this tidbit. We always close up this character section with like how you play her. We'll cover it more in the end with our full box play style but what are your thoughts on how you're going to play her on the battlefield month? yeah i think there's different ways you can go about it i think if you want a beater asajj can be that beater she can just walk up the board maybe double dathomir and dexterity to get where she needs to and then if she has an isolated victim you know maybe she just busts out that makashi and just does her thing i think maybe if she's in an environment where she's wanting to play a bit more cautiously then I think you have the ability to do that, which is cool because like assassins can do that. They can wait, lurk around, strike at the end or when, you know, the iron's hot, but then also they can just, they're just monsters on the battlefield regardless. And so I like the idea of having the flexibility of using Asajj 
as just that control piece at the end of the round. Yeah, absolutely. I like that she can rearrange the board how she wants, whether it's through damage or through the force push or some combination of both. And don't underestimate two jumps. No. Two jumps is wild. Force push is wild. Especially because I imagine I'm on this game will get more vertical as we go, as the terrain community grows and build up their collections and their terrain and really figure out how the game plays. Kind of like MCP, like how the terrain evolved more over time. We've got different shapes, bigger things that we didn't have at first. We just didn't. It was like more barren than MCP. And uh, I think jump's going to be really powerful the longer the game goes on. Just going to get better. It's going to get even better. And I completely agree in that sense because if AMG wants us to play on two levels, yeah, then the community is going to take it to at least three to four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We got to move on and on to our secondary in our box today because we are doing the final section of the core set in this box we've dubbed the massage box. And Kalani is our secondary today. And Kalani is a very cool character. So Kalani is a super tactical droid. And the way to understand the super tactical droids, basically you got to have know quickly about the T-series tactical droids, which were the standard tactical droids of the Confederacy of Independent Systems and Separatist Alliance. And they were these officer droids. Right. Now, they weren't in the movies. They were in Clone Wars. And they were a tech of the Clone Wars because episode one, notably, and this will come up in our B1 discussion, the B1s were older than episode one. And they were controlled by, of course, the supercomputer and the droid control ship. As the Clone Wars went on, the B1s got more autonomy. They became more individualistic. They got more processing functioning. And they were led by these tactical droids. Later, as the war went on, they developed these super tactical droids, the ST droids. And they were basically just super upgraded versions of the tactical droids. And there was only a couple of them made. They really weren't that common. There's only a chunk of them as opposed to the tactical droids where there was a larger number of them. So Kalani is one step further than that. He's one of the most famous named super tactical droids. So he's basically one of the most infamous. So Kalani shows up in the Clone Wars show, working for Dooku, of course. He has very unique colors and markings, which I think makes him stand out. He's painted green and he has the gold inlay, ornate like tribal designs on him. And he first shows up in a planetary civil war where there's a conflict between the king, the CIS, and the people of the nation. But basically, the super tactical droids were the most highly advanced tactical droids in the battlefield. So Kalani is showing up in this situation and he's trying to process how to deal with the situation and how to win these battles, right? And so the super tactical droids were supposed to be on the level of the highest clone commanders or higher. And it's just interesting that we're dropped into Kalani's story with this like civil war conflict. Eventually, Kalani loses the conflict to Ahsoka, of all people. So this is how it goes. But he makes it out. But he still fills out Duke. He still ends up furthering Dooku's plans. He ends up killing the corrupt king. And, and Dooku moves Kalani to the planet of Agamar. And not so... What's interesting is that's important to the story because Kalani did fight in some battles and he was mainly in the Civil War conflict, but when he goes to Agamar, we don't see him again until Rebels. This is where it gets interesting. So mild Rebel spoilers here, but in Revenge of the Sith, Sidious and Darth Vader, formerly Anakin Skywalker, 
shut down all the droids across the entire galaxy, right? And basically just, and Anakin kills the entire Separatist High Council, just dismantles the entire Separatist Alliance. When this happens, Kalani is told to dismantle his entire army and himself. And he thinks this is a trick from the Republic. He's like, by my calculations, this would never happen with the Separatist Alliance, which he was correct. It, it would not, right? If it, it was all part of Palpatine's plan. And so Kalani actually ends up not turning off his droids, turning off himself. And he lives on Agamar for t- 20 years, straight up, thinking the war is still going, which is very interesting, living out his programming, until eventually the members of the ghost crew, the specters, show up and talk with him. And then it's very interesting, but through the storyline of Rebels, they convince him that the war is actually over. And it's funny because Kalani, being the super tactician he is, he wants to see the ghost crew perform and prove to him to earn his trust, essentially. And he runs a simulation against them with his battle droids. Of course, the ghost crew prevails and he earns their respect. And he also believes them that the war did end. The Clone War, that is, right? And eventually the Empire shows up for the part of the story, but the Empire shows up and the ghost crew and Kalani team up against the Empire, which is super cool. And the Empire has uh, walkers and uh, they deal with that as well. So what's interesting about Kalani is he was designed as this super brain, the super brain. He's only made for war and how to win battles. And he was so smart and he actually was enough of his individual person that when this order came down from the high confederacy, which he didn't know was dismantled at the time, actually was Sidious, time to shut down all his droids, shut down the rest of the army. He didn't do it. And that's pretty bizarre because most of the droid army shut down. But it's almost like the CIS, like the super tactical droids they made that were so smart were like smarter than the mindless computer idea. And I think Kalani and Kraken in particular, which we'll get to later in the future, embody this. And it's why they were the great generals that they were. Yeah, man, if Chad GPT was real. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly, it's Kalani. And yeah, man, those markings, they rule, they rule. Yeah, they look pretty cool. But I love that he just, essentially, he's the last member of the Separatist Alliance. It's crazy to think, but it's like, it's all dismantled. It's all done. All the leaders are killed or in jail or whatever. And he's still on a planet with his droid army and he's just waiting because he did not shut his troops down. But I think we're going to see today, the snapshot of Kalani is in the middle of the war. When he was winning battles, he was very calculated too. He's what you think about a droid in a more truer sense, not the droids we were talking about in Star Wars that develop their personalities and quirks. He's a little bit more stoic. But it's interesting that under all that stoicism we see in Clone Wars, he does have personality. He does care about his troops and as time goes on. So it's not like he's just like a mindless B1 or something. I like Kalani, Jesse. Let's jump into the unit himself. Kalani, super tactical droid. He has a Stamina of 10 and a durability of 2. He costs 5 points, is a secondary, and has 0 force. 5 points is a lot. 5 points That's is a cool. lot. Yeah, I think he's... He's our most expensive secondary so far. Yeah, he is. Yeah. For good reason, especially with that backstory. That's right. He's earned it. Yeah. 10 stamina is actually pretty decent for a supporting character. Makes sense it's a little bit higher because he's worth more points. Maul is only one more... Stamina than him. He's our highest stamina secondary. That's pretty impressive. And he's got a droid body. Makes sense. He's got a droid body and he knows how to protect it. That's right. Last thing though, Amani has some cool keywords that I think we're going to see come up again in the future. Battle droid, separate from droid, and separatist alliance. Everything you'd expect, but super cool that 
I have high hopes that this is future proofing and I can get an all droid list. Bar 2D2, surround the That's corner. Right. CP3L, are they droids? Give me IG88 one day, like I said, my wish list of characters and just get a droid revolution going. Yeah. And Chopper, we know he's coming too. Uh, Chopper's a savage. Chopper is a savage. His death count is high. His death count is massive. <laughs> I wonder if yeah. they'll ever do a, a droid primary. Please. That could be really that cool. could be really cool. Before we jump down that rabbit hole, let's talk about Kalani's tactics ability. Tactics abilities are activated at the start of a unit's activation. This one is Roger Roger. Each allied battle droid is supporting character within four of Kalani may dash. Each. That's awesome. He is the super tactical general on the battlefield. There it is. Yeah, this is really cool because we talk about the design of how the multiple character units work. There's this idea that you want to clump up generally most supporting characters with their secondaries to benefit from the synergy, whether it's Mandalorian stuff or get a move on trooper and stuff like that. And then generally you want to keep them next to each other because they can benefit from one another's abilities. But with Kalani, you have this really interesting ability where you can keep your B1s on completely other sides of him, range four away to be exact. That's right. And get some very early objective scoring, which we'll jump into a little bit more. Yeah. And continuing with that, jumping in more of his playstyle with this feature, he has an active ability called the Tactical Network, costs one force to play. Choose another allied battle droid character within range four of Kalani. The chosen character may dash, then gain a hunker, remove one condition from itself, or make a five dice attack. So you're going to dash, and then you're going to hunker, no matter what. And then you either remove a condition from yourself or perform a free attack. This is good. It's very good. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but you can already see that you can double dash some other droids to move around the board and do some really cool things. Yeah, so we just covered Rex and what he does with clones. And this is obviously the more expensive Rex, right? He's the super support Rex. And Rex is more the damage semi-support. And we're going to see a lot of those themes continue through today. So if you listen to our, that last episode, I'm seeing a lot of similarities, Amon. And it makes sense. They are captains, commanders on the battlefield, generals on the battlefield, moving the troops around. Yeah, what I like about Rex is, though, it allows him to command, as you will. But you get more out of Kalani because he's effectively controlling them. He's superior. Yes, he's wired in with them. Yeah. So that's what's cool. That's the subtle difference, but an important one. He has more options. We love options. We're going to go to his next ability, an innate one, called Target. Concentrate all firepower. When an allied battle droid character makes an attack... If the targeted character is within four of one or more other allied battle droid characters, the attacking character adds one dice to its roll. Okay, so the coolest part of this, Amon, is I think at first glance, you're like, oh, they got to be nearby Kalani, but it's just Kalani's on the table and this is happening, right? They don't have to be mm-hmm. in his bubble. So you got B1s on the other side of the table outside of this range. If they're by each other, they're part of this network and they're concentrating fire, right? Because Kalani's just present. He's shown up. Things have gotten serious. So I think this is amazing. The one dice makes a difference. We've talked about this, right? That's the difference between a stance for a primary. Right. And obviously, if you're stacking more battle droids, it's just more free dice. Yeah. And then again, this is when an allied battle droid character yes. makes an attack. If it's within four of another character, 
there can be two characters in a unit. So if your B1 battle droid is next to his buddy, <laughs> you're just getting plus one dice. Easy. Easy mode. That's good. Oh, man. But continuing with Kalani's complete tactical control, he has a final innate ability called complete analysis. When you spin force to place this unit's order card in reserve, spin one less force. Faux free, baby. So he gets to wait before he assesses the battlefield, essentially, which is completely within the super tactical battle droid design. They're supposed to analyze thousands of battles and determine the best mathematical probability. It's very cool, very thematic, and matters, especially when you're playing alongside Asajj, who needs all the force in the world. That's very true. So that's it for Kalani's card, Amon, and we got to move on to Kalani's damage tree in his single form. Cold Logic. I like it. Good name. It's a great name. So range five blaster attack, which is pretty neat. That is going to roll seven dice and you're going to have a defense of four against range attacks. In melee, he's rolling six, so no slouch. But this is where he starts to show a little bit of weakness with only three defensive dice. If you look to his expertise, the E5 blaster rifle on one expertise, he's getting a crit on two plus, which is pretty solid. He's getting a crit in two hits. If we jump to Bash, because he's going to slap you, one to three, Expertise gives you one strike or a hit, four plus gives you a crit. And then Defense, Self, Preservation, one to two is a block, three to four, two blocks, five Expertise, two blocks and a reposition. Jesse, what do we think about his Expertise? It's not Rex's Expertise. It shouldn't be. Kalani is more of an officer, and Rex is more of a fighter that is an officer, right? So it's not bad, but he obviously does not want to be punched on really close with melee attacks. He's very scared of that. And that's cool. I like the theme of you're getting punished for dealing with him at range, but you're getting benefits for dealing with him up close. Yeah, it goes hand in hand with the whole idea of the super tactical droids and want to stay protected. They want to be able to view the battlefield with very low risk to themselves. And how do they usually get killed in Star Wars Clone Wars? Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Cut them. Cut them up. I do like the reposition on the five up. It's less likely, of course, but you'll take it. They can get out of, you know, melee combat, which they're very versed to, right? Yeah, I like it. And that leads us into his actual damage tree. Yep. We're going to start with two damage. We're going to go then a shove and a damage. Then we get an active ability and a damage. This is pretty exciting because the active ability is tactical network. So again, you get that dash and then a hunker or an attack pretty good yeah and then from there because he is using cold hard logic and he's trying to assess the battlefield you have three options i like this i really like it too now all the options end in the same way but you're really just picking one of three particular options before we close out the tree so one of the options is disarming your opponent and dealing two damage one of the options is getting a reposition but only dealing one damage And then the third and final option for this particular step is an expose and two damage. So you either get to slam a condition and deal two damage or only deal one, but then maybe get away. What do you think, Jesse? Expose is really cool. It stands out to me the most because I'm thinking of this B1s everywhere, battle droids everywhere, target concentrate all firepower situation. I think that's really interesting. But obviously we're going to take a disarm on a primary and we're obviously going to reposition out of melee combat with a hard-hitting primary, or even like a Captain Rex who, you know, just hits harder than Kalani. Completely agree. 
I like the options presented here, and, and I think it makes good use of the fact that if the goal is to push damage, he can do that. If the goal is to make sure he stays safe, to keep being able to affect the battlefield, he can do that too. Now, lastly, to end the whole damage tree, he gets a shove in three damage. That's a lot of damage at the end. Yeah. If you get the whole tree off, you're doing nine? Yeah. That nine again showing up. Pretty interesting. It's a lot. Yeah. A you lot. could remove a support or a secondary with this potentially, right? If things go in your favor. Yeah. So he's no slouch on the damage, but I like that his expertise is middling compared to other characters we've done. And that's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. As we've said earlier with other characters, you need to have a weakness. Can't be good at everything. And that's Kalani's weakness is he's such an expert that you can't really have expertise on an expert, right? That's right. His weakness is that his abilities are so good. You got to balance them, right? Like he can't mm -hmm. just be this all-arounder in combat. And he's not that in canon. He is a master tactician commander. And that's his primary goal. So he shouldn't be like this master fighter, but I do that he can just pump nine damage into you from range if he gets lucky. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh man, Kalani, very exciting. And I think Kalani is one of these characters I'm on that we're going to cover more in the future through discussions because he is this primary support piece for battle droids. So we get more battle droids in the game, which we already know we're getting B2s around the corner. He has more potential to do more things with battle droids, but Speaking of battle droids, Amon, we're going to cover our final unit today, our support unit, the B1 series battle droids, also referred to as B1 battle droids, or just the battle droids or clankers, or even sometimes tinnies. These are terms used by the clones, of course. They were a mass-produced fighting droid. What's very interesting on a lore trivia side of things is the Genosians made them, right? And they were basically made to look like Genosians, like the skeletons of the Genosians. It makes sense. The people that made them are inspired by their own people's culture. And of course, the Genosians being the bug-like people of Geonosis. But the Trade Federation ends up picking them up as their primary army enforcers. And eventually the Trade Federation and the Separatist Alliance forms with the Trade Federation at its midpoint. And of course, the B1s become the primary battle droid army going forward. What do we say about these guys, Amon? They're super cool design. They're just mass troops. They're cheap. They're not super efficient in combat. That's not the point. The point is they overwhelm you because there's so many of them. They're just marching at you, revolutionary war style, no cover. They're just shooting. And their prerogative is they're controlled by a central computer or a later in the Clone Wars. Like I said, they become more autonomous in their own people, but then they're guided by commanders and they just overwhelm you. It's not even a matter of they're really good in combat. It's just you can't deal with them, right? And that's their design and why they're so cheap. Of course, we see them first in episode one used to great effect, especially against the Gungans and the people of Naboo, right? Like the people of Naboo just do not have the troops to defend Theed. And so they end up surrendering, right? Because just the mass amount of troops of the B1 battle droids coming in. What's interesting about them too is... They expand on them not being very smart later when they do get their own processing brains and stuff, which is very funny because, once again, they're cheap. And they end up getting little quirks in the Clone Wars, which is funny. They talk about funny things happening around them and stuff. And they're always outmatched by clone troopers. But once again, they have a numbers game on the clone troopers, kind of the balance. And of course, Jedi just cut through them like paper. But 
the manufacturing numbers of the separatists is so high that it's always a threat just because there's so many of them churning out and then you're just always sending them to battle. And we actually see them in canon post the Corn Wars, like Amon mentioned, the droid bar. They're still around, but they're no longer like serving these armies necessarily. They're just repurposed for other uses. I do like in Clone Wars, they get more to do, but typically they just have one goal. It's either like pilot stuff in combat or they just fight on the ground in combat or sometimes they get designations depending on their stature. So do you see those B1s with the blue markings? Of course, those are the naval B1s that help fly the ships, help run systems that actually don't fight. But then there's all sorts of B1s for certain roles that, depending on what it's designed for, they'll do that role. But they are just the oncoming, ever-present droids that are coming at you in the Clone Wars era. Yeah, great summary. Now, jumping into their unit card, they're not the cheapest, but they're three points cost, right? So they're equivalent in terms of clones, which is pretty interesting. Zero force, nine stamina, and two durability. High stamina. Yeah, and I think this is reflected in the fact that there's three of them on the base. Absolutely. It's supposed to show that they are endlessly coming at you. In theory, in the flavor of this, there might be more than three. It's This is like a squad of five or six, and they just keep showing up to replace the rank that was just taken down. Yeah, technically they are a squad of six. And then this is, I think, the first instance of the bigger bases being used. Which is notable, right? Because we can already meet out the gate. I'm on explain to the listener and ourselves as we cover this section, but like, we know this in MCP very well, but they have more movement, right? Because they have a bigger base. And it sounds very simple. It sounds very basic, but when you actually get it on the game with these objectives, with these getting to range to us stuff, it really makes a difference. No, I completely agree. That's why all large bases MCP move short, because <laughs> if they moved medium, it'd be busted. Malekith. He does move that's, medium. That's the problem right there. He has a wide net. Well, it's been limited a little bit. Anywho, finishing off the B1 battle droids with their tags. B1, battle droid, droid, separatist alliance, and trooper. They take the cake for the most. There we go. There's five. They probably do take the cake for the most. That's so interesting. Some future-proofing, I'm hoping. Yeah, if there's going to be a character that just moves troopers, there's going to be a lot of synergy with troopers. Amon, I'm still fixated on this nine stamina versus the five first clones of seven. Yeah, and I think really, man, it has to do with the fact that there's so many of them. It's what I described in lore. Just bodies. Just bodies. And the thing is with the clones is like, they also get cut like paper. They're also that endless number of bodies. It's just more trained. Yeah, one clone is maybe worth 10 droids. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Oh, man. Let's get into these interesting droids. It's just, it's funny that we've already framed them through the viewpoint of they have a lot more stamina and they have more movement. It's just already makes them a unique supporting unit to discuss. But getting into their abilities, Amon, they have three innate abilities. Very interesting. So their first innate ability is combat AI protocols. After an allied battle droid unit makes a combat action, choose one of the targeted characters that is within range four of all characters in this unit, if able. The chosen character gains strain or expose. It's pretty solid, man. So you have to make the combat action though, right? Mm -hmm. And then you still got to be range four of the target? Yeah. So an allied battle droid makes a combat action, right? Then you choose one of the targeted characters that's within range four. 
So for example, I have Kalani. Kalani makes a combat action against the clone troopers. As long as one of the characters in that unit of clone troopers is within four of all characters in this unit, if able, the chosen character gains strain or exposed. But aren't they also allied with themselves because it doesn't say other allied unit? They're off their own attack as well. Yeah, if you keep them next to yeah. one another. Very cool. Yeah, it's just free conditions, right? It is. And that's what's neat is because ineffectively, like the idea, as you've mentioned in the lore, is that it's just mass fire. Yeah. So what's going to happen to you is you're going to get strained because you're going to freak out because you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? Or they got you out in the open because they blew up your terrain or your cover. This is like the exact opposite of the clone troopers getting dug in and getting hunkers, right? This is like, they're just coming at you with the aggro and you got to deal with it because you're going to get a bunch of conditions. Yeah. Very thematic. I like that I can stack to Amon in the sense of I can attack with Kalani, give him a strain, and then I can attack on a future turn with a different B1 or a different battle droid and then give them the expose or vice versa. Yeah, it's cool synergies. And I'm really excited to see how that can function with Kraken and the, and the B2s. B2s. That's right. So the next innate ability is, well, I guess I'm in charge That's now. Right. When this unit's order card would be placed in reserve, its controlling player may place it on the bottom of their order deck instead. This is amazing. Come on. This is probably their best ability, right? I think this in conjunction with Kalani's ability to free force reserve himself, we're seeing the theme of the droids, right? It is order deck control, which I don't want to get on a tangent here, but being a Legion player of the past that played this army, this is a theme through the Legion mechanics, right? Is the droids have better order control than the other factions in that game and i find it interesting that this is this game's version of that and i actually think it's even more interesting than the way legion incorporates it in legion essentially they need to be by each other to pass orders and as long as you keep the daisy chain going you get the orders out correctly but if the daisy chain ever gets disrupted they get out of sync this is more like up to the player and i don't know i think you're going to do this a lot sometimes when you're like i'm digging for Asajj. All right, put those B1s on the bottom. Get closer, one step closer to Asajj. Yeah, I like the fact that you can manipulate the order deck, and that could be a very separatist thing to do. And the fact that because they're droids and everything's connected, yeah, they're the most efficient. It makes sense. But what I particularly like about this even more is you can try to dig for the characters you need. It's almost that pseudo card effect where it's, I'm going to just draw cards and hopefully get what I need. Let's say you earn this environment where you draw Kalani. Okay, you can throw them in reserve and then hopefully draw someone else. Or if you have no one in reserve, then, well, I'm, I guess I'm in charge now. Throw them in the bottom of your deck. Then you could draw Kalani, then put him in reserve for free, and then draw your third card, which can really help you find who you need. And these game state spaces get more interesting and more dynamic as we play more matches, right? We can see this, how powerful this order manipulation is. And of course, that gets many more layers deeper, Amon, when we get more Separatists, more droids, potentially, and even more characters that we want to find maybe sooner or later, right? It's just giving you a way to manipulate that and help you have better order control. And I think it's a super neat feature of the droids and one of the reasons you're probably playing them. But closing out their card, Amon, they have one more innate ability called I Hate This Job, which is excellent. While a character in this unit is contesting one or more active objectives, active, notable, it has protection. Yeah, this is pretty solid. It makes sense. Like, oftentimes, 
once they've accomplished a goal or a particular objective, they get parked on a base or an area. And then from there, it's like, they get bored, right? That's when they start developing those quirks, like you said in the lore, <laughs> where they just start talking stuff and they get complacent and they're like, I hate this job. And you're just like trying to figure out like what their next move is, which is pretty funny. Absolutely. And protection is helping your defenses. Come on. So it's like helping them be better at being parked on that point. Absolutely. Protection allows you to remove one damage from the damage pool that you receive. It's like a better cover. It's debatable. It's a more I would say, mathematical guarantee, right? Yeah, I think it punishes your opponent for low yep. rolling. Yep. It doesn't really reduce the efficacy of a high roll as much. It's just a nice math to know, though, that you have that one off the top every time, though. Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm going to make us t-shirts would say I have the high roll. Very good. Love it. Instead of the high ground, I've decided. That's a good, that's a good shirt. Absolutely. I love that they're like a ball of stats. They are a bunch of health, some more movement, which is also very interesting. They give out conditions. They got some order deck manipulation, and then they get that protection when they're parked places. That's what you want to do with them. You either want to be pushing in on places or parked somewhere and shooting, but their goal is to always shoot. Yeah, for sure. Last thing I want to say on the droids is what I really like is they all have innate abilities, which means that there's no active, there's no tactic, there's no personality, right? There's no trait because... (laughs) They're just a bunch of droids. Like they're built for what they do. They're going to do what they're programmed to do, which is that innateness. And there's nothing else, which I think is a fun concept to think yeah, about. Yeah, Kalani's like the named guy, right? Who's actually moving the chess pieces around. But really, at the end of the day, the droids are just impressive. Like they're just a ball of like stats and programming. Very cool. It is. So, Jesse, you mentioned in the story segment that there's just an un ending number mm, of yep. them and so their stance card is called countless they just keep coming similar weaknesses to other droids we've seen here so range five seven attack four defense to range attacks in melee they can do a little bit which is five dice here but their defense struggles which is three defense and uh, again that's because we see clankers get chopped up in combat right yeah it wouldn't be a melee at all. No. Even the clones will take them out pretty effectively Yeah, those punch them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Looking at their offensive expertise, it's not very good because they're not made for that stuff. As long as you get one expertise, you got one hit. No more, no <laughs> less. Going to their ranged expertise, that E5 blaster rifle, one to two is one hit, three, two hits, four plus, three hits, which makes sense. And then, of course, we get to the damage tree. Which is fairly simple, but it's fair. Yeah. Because you're going to get two attacks, right? So, in theory, yeah. In theory, with potentially an extra dice. But starting at the tree, it's a damage. Then you go to a reposition and a damage. Then you get to an exposed and two damage. And then from there, you have a choice. You can either strain or you can shove a damage. And then if you manage to make it to the end of the tree, you get three damage. Not bad. No, it's really not bad. It's interesting, like comparing this to like the 501st clones tree, where the droids actually have more damage, Shimon, overall, which makes sense. They're, it's like that mass fire coming at you, right? Like it's just you're taking damage, but I don't know. It's interesting, right? Like the differences between the two of them and the differences go all the way to like their expertise, where it's like the droids have more hits, but the clones have that crit on the four up 
we're seeing like the similarities and differences again, but I don't know. I think eight damage is a lot. Eight damage is a lot, but it's really hard to evaluate damage trees because I don't know if you're regularly going to get to the end. No, especially on a support unit, right? Yeah. So I would say when you look at a damage tree listener and you are evaluating it, I would say if you're trying to figure out what your consistent damage output might be, I would say live in that three to four tile range. Yep. And for example, like Kalani, he's got active ability on three. So you can rely on that more often than not. But anything past that, that's going to require a spike on either end. We talked about the damage tree. We talked about their rifle. And then, of course, they've got this terrible melee expertise bash, as they should. But we did not talk about their defensive expertise. Let's talk about the occupation protocols real quick. So on a result of one, first instance of the game, on a result of one defensive expertise, you're going to get nothing. And they make that very well known because it's blank. But on a expertise result of two to three on defense, you're going to get one block. And a four up, you're going to get two blocks. So easily one of our worst defensive expertises thus far, as it should be. These guys could cut down like nothing. Yeah, that's the really interesting thing about clankers is they'll put out a lot of damage, but they can't take any. True, but I will say the juxtaposition and the difference with this, and this is kind of like my MCP brain I'm on, is they just have higher stamina than the other supports. So it's like they melt, but they've got a bunch of health because there's a bunch of them. So it's like guaranteed defense results in a way. That's how I viewed an MCP. When it's like a model, an MCP has six or seven stamina on a side. That says a lot to you because you're like, that's defense dice. I don't necessarily have to roll right before I get flipped over. So I don't know. I'm very curious how this interaction of bad defenses, bad defense expertise coalesces with the high stamina pool for support. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it even further. Zero expertise, maybe it's just the fact that like they have so many bodies, they don't have to have an expertise. They're just walking at you. They have to do something particularly expertly to be able to benefit just from a measly one block, right? That's right. Because they'll just walk into fire and just pew pew, and either they out pew or they get pewed. So very interesting. Yeah, I like it. So doing what we always do, Amon, we're closing out this entire box talking about how we think we're going to play this box, this set of three units as a whole. And I think we touched on this last episode with the clones where we're like, okay, Rex plays this way, the clones play this way, Anakin plays this way. And obviously this is going to get further dividends in the future when we get more clones. I think this is something to think about when you're looking at this set because it doesn't quite just auto-build itself going double mandos. Yeah, I think certainly... This one is a little interesting because it almost is a contradiction. Because okay. you have Kalani and B1 that synergize really well with one another. And then Asajj is just doing her own thing. And that's what assassins do. They just solo stuff. It's also an interesting parallel with our Maul episode where it's like Maul's very selfish. Asajj is very selfish. They're, they go do their own thing and they do it well. But they don't necessarily synergize with the rest of their box. And maybe this is a dark side thing we're going to see. Not all dark side characters, of course. but. It is more of a through line, it seems, with the dark side in Star Wars than the light side. So maybe that's going to be a dark side playstyle. Yeah, and not to get too off-tangent here, but that poses a bigger question okay. in that in the game of Shatterpoint, where you want to have these synergies, is playing dark side characters potentially a disadvantage? Because they don't synergize. Like, as you mentioned, Anakin supports his troops. He is the hero. We've seen Obi-Wan's card. It's been previewed. And 
he does similar things where he supports his group. We've seen what Ahsoka does. She's defending her troops. And then you have Maul and Asajj who are just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do my own thing. What I'm hearing when you're saying this, Amon, is that maybe in the future, as we get deeper into this podcast, deeper into this game, which is very exciting to think about the possibilities of this, but that might be a disadvantage with the synergy of your list as a whole, but you could probably make it work. And we'll talk about more of the droid synergy in a second. But also, I think you're saying that the dark side people might just be more splashable in the future. That's exactly what I'm saying, actually. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next point is that in a way you could take, let's say, let's just use Obi-Wan because he's kind of newer. You take Obi-Wan, you take Cody, and you take whomever, right? Clone 501st or, or Wolfpack or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you take maybe a beat stick character or a control piece, or maybe someone who lives in both zones, like Asajj, with more clones. There you go. And then the clones all play with each other, and Asajj just does their own thing. Like, that's something and you can And the clones do. play with Obi-Wan. Exactly. So all the clones and Obi-Wan will all hang out and synergize, and Rex can affect both, and Cody can do this or that. But it's really interesting to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. But back to this strike team, I do think it is a very interesting strategy in how to play them, because as we mentioned, Assassin's kind of like to do their own thing. Asajj is very capable of going out there and fighting people and getting some damage and, and moving around. But when you take, the, take a look at the box as a whole, what I think when I see this box is they have the ability to score very quickly. You have, again, Asajj's, Asajj's maneuverability allows her to get to points that are maybe hard to reach or contest points that maybe your opponent thinks are safe. So it's pretty interesting to think about. And then, of course, with Kalani and the droids, what I found in my games particularly is that the droids will generally get an early lead, especially if you deploy wide with the droids. Roger, Roger allows each supporting battle droid character within four to dash. You generally start the game contesting one of the objectives. So if they're not active, you just dash towards the active or active ones, could be multiple. And then after an advance, you're there because you're within range too. So early on, I think the droids, especially if you can Shatterpoint Kalani, Mm. can give them a lot of options. And I really like that because it gives you that early lead. What I found with the droids is that when they get past struggle one, that's when they start getting bogged down. And that's when, you know, once people get into melee range and once people start fighting them, they start losing, which is very lore accurate. And I appreciate that. But that's the mix I've seen. And maybe that's why Asajj is there, to deter the offense invading your side of the board. And she can outzone them as well. But I think you can get a really early lead with, again, Kalani and then Asajj's ability to move and force push someone off, take the point. Maintaining it is another conversation, I think, entirely. Yeah, and we're going to get into more of that in the future. And I also think, too, like the Kalani droid ball play style thing is going to be another conversation in the future too. We talked about this last episode and I've touched on it a couple times this episode where it's like Rex is just giving you more clone synergy. Clones are giving other clones more clone synergy and I think Kalani and his design with the B1s is very much the same thing. It's very much intentional to surround Kalani with as many droids as you possibly can and get the efficacy out of that and frankly we just don't have that many separatist droids yet but we will very soon. So I'm really interested to see how he opens up with that lens as well. And I think Asajj is just going to be one of these pieces that she's just great. Like plug and play. 
and try with Dathomirians in the future. Yeah, not to jump too far ahead, but we've seen MagnaGuard cards as well, right? They're all over the internet. They're three costs. They have the Battle Droid tag exciting. as well. So very exciting to see how that works and how that functions. Put them on the table. Get all the droids out. And again, I think this is a really good supplement team, right? I think they pair really well with Duke. Yeah. And I think part of that is because you have that master and apprentice vibe going. Again, we're not going to get too deep into Dooku, but like Dooku has a lot of synergy with movement. Kalani and droids have a lot of synergy with movement. And, and Dooku's no slouch in combat. So you could have Asajj and Dooku be that offensive output you need enough for your characters to control the points as droids do and then win the victory. So I think there's so many different options there. It's the mid to late game that concerns me, I think, with this particular stride team because even with Asajj, nine stamina isn't like impossible to chew through. I got you. We talked about the power of that on the mole episode, right? It's like they might just be a win struggle one and two team. And that's going to be an archetype we see as this game continues. I don't think it's good or bad or it's just a feature. Yeah. And it could be a light side versus dark side thing. Not sure if that's the intention. It might be. That's a vibe in Star Wars, right? The heroes, like they last and then they pull it back in the end, right? So it's that rogue one thing. What I actually think is very interesting is maybe you can run Ahsoka. Yep. Instead of Asajj with Kalani and the B1s, that could be a good way to protect the droids as they do their thing. Very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no need for the separatist key tag there. Yeah. Kalani's just messing with the droids. You just need someone to protect Kalani and or the droids. And that's also an interesting thing too, is that's what's cool about Shatterpoint, is you can just mix and match and figure out the synergies. You could also just run Asajj with Bo-Katan too, right? Yeah, you could. And then they all just run up the board and smack stuff and they can all jump too so verticality is no issue it's scary yeah we've already sang praises on Bo-Katan she's nuts yeah the world is your oyster and that's what's super cool about this I made it very clear that Anakin's going to benefit from being around a lot of Republic pieces and since Asajj is not like that I think we're going to see a lot of places she shows up in the future come on like boxes we haven't even seen yet she might fit right in and she's got a lot of keywords that might show up again but she does have the Separatist Alliance keyword, and that's going to come up more in the future as well. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see how she functions with the Dathomir, because you could run a Maul or Mother Talisman or Ventress, and then, Savage you know, we assume Savage Oppress is probably so, the secondary there, and then some Night Sisters. so it could be cool, man. I'm all about it. I'm still, you and I talked about it on the bonus episode, but I still want to do a Dathomir table, but we'll cover that in the future. Athamir and table. It's a lot of red, even for me. That's what you said last time. You're staying consistent, but it is a lot of red, but I think that's what makes it interesting, especially that tournament where I've been playing on deserts and industrial boards all day and all of a sudden I'm on a red table. That's just a nice change up. Like I said, I'm going to stick to theme here. I really want to do the Kashyyyk board. Though I will, one of our patrons put this really sick, the 3D printed Ewok yep. setup. And I was like, man, if I just, it was like 65 bucks. And I was like, should I just buy it? Then I can just scale it yep. up 10%. And just, it would work perfect with Shatterpoint. No, they've already been like figuring out on that website how they want to do it. Like they've said that they've figured out the math of how you can scale it up. But of course that's on Imperial Terrain. Yeah. Forest Moon Village set. So they're calling it. It's their newest set. And I can vouch for Imperial Terrain. Mon. I've got some files from them that have been really good to me. Some Jedi Rooms oh, really? files. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know if my printer is big enough to print. Well, that's something we're going to pursue in the bonus episodes. A lot of ver- verticality for Asajj to jump on stuff, which is super hype for me. But yeah, I'm really excited about this box mono. I think it came probably 
a little bit of pair in this episode. I tried to hold it back, but I'm a big Separatist fan, big Droid Army fan, and I'm really curious to see like how they expand the Droid Army in the future and how all these things work out. How's Kraken different from Kalani? How the B2s perform? Do we ever get droid because It's my dream. Every night when I go to sleep, I think about that. I'm just curious. I'm just curious to like really lean to this droid play style, what that looks like. I think order control is the name of the game. And I think I don't even understand how powerful that is at this moment in time, the order control. Order control is huge. And that's one thing I didn't say in my recap, but we did talk about did when in analyzing yeah. the unit individually is you can get some really consistent early turns because you're effectively, if you think about it, you got what, seven cards in your order deck, including yeah. the shatter point. You take out effectively three of them, including the shatter point. And you get to your big pieces faster than your opponent does, or at least the particular pieces you want. And that's huge, especially in the later struggles where you need those characters to take down other characters. Oh, absolutely. And also, like, you get to use Kalani when you want too, right? Because his force is free, right? To put him in reserve. And it's like, you can use him as a pivot piece mid-struggle, right? Just when you're ready. I think it's very cool too. Is there any reason you would never, that's a different question, but I think that's interesting that Kalani, since it is free for him, every time he comes up, you have that question, right? Am I doing it or am I not? And I think that's already got the gears turning. And I think it really depends on what you got left in the tank. If you really want to get to that next piece, yeah, throw him in reserve. But if it's early, maybe just get him over with. If you really need to use him later, you could shatterpoint him. And that's another conversation, right? We talked about this a little bit on the bonus yeah. episode, but shadow pointing stuff doesn't always have to be primaries or secondaries. I think most people are going to always probably go be like, yeah, I want to get Anakin to go again or Maul or whatever. But it's, man, I might go Kalani twice. Rearrange the board. Yeah, absolutely. I think going with Kalani twice can be a common play. Yeah. So that's pretty much this box set, as you will, as we've dubbed yep. them. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited because... The power level here is clear in aspects of it, but then also you get this type of objective control concept with them in different ways, whether it's just scoring points early or force push. Yeah, it's either speed through the points or deny your opponent with force push, which is powerful. I don't know. It's, it's a very exciting box and it's very different and probably honestly our most different we've done so far. And that, that's a good sign for the game. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think they necessarily have to be Mando spam good. They can just be unique. And that's enough. That's all I want is because I'm sure whether it's now or later, I'm going to go back and be like, battle droid, battle droid. Yeah, this works. This works. Boom. I figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the uniqueness speaks a lot about the future of the game and the design space, right? I see all this uniqueness with droids and I'm already thinking like, how unique are Ewoks going to be? And like, oh, and just gosh. spamming Ewoks as a whole, like really. Are they going to be like droids where you take more of them? That's better for you. I would think so, but I have no idea. And those are the type of ideas that are like going through my mind right now where it's like, you can get really creative. Like we said, put a Saj where you want and she's probably going to work. Or you could get really like focused and just bring all the battle droids and just use Kalani to the greatest extent. And yeah, you probably are in that list. Shatter pointing with Kalani a lot. Yeah. Very excited to look at the options and play more around with it. I will say. I'm not particularly excited about droids like yeah. perhaps you might be, but I think this episode has got me to give him more of a go than I perhaps have. Yeah, and it's a funny state. I'm always in a mon where it's, I think I favor the droid army over the cloud army, but then I favor the Jedi over the Sith. 
And it's always been at odds with the play styles of these games because the Droid Army and Star Wars Legion, you've got people like Dooku and Maul and stuff, right, with them. But then the Clone Army, all these Jedi. So it's interesting to choose what's what. And I do the design space where they're going with this, where it's like some of the Jedi are pretty costly and some of the clones are just cheap. And filling that out is very interesting. And I mean, we touched on this episode, Amon, but Kalani being five, that's just a lot of points. And like, what does that mean for the, his spot in the future? If you don't want to play him, five points to play with. What does that mean? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think as we get more and more units at varying point levels, we'll start to see more of that conversation take place. A lot of people in MCP will do like best three threat tier list or best four threat tier list. And unfortunately, Kalani's the only one in this tier <laughs> list for now. I imagine this game a year or two from now and it's exciting to think about how many five strike point characters in that second slot yeah absolutely well, we hope you guys enjoyed this box review of course simon we gotta tell everyone where they can find us outside of this very podcast feed yep hello there is supported by our wonderful patrons you can become a hello there patron by going to patreon.com slash hello there cast find us on twitter facebook instagram and twitch all at the same place hello there cast and email us at hello there cast at gmail.com if you have any sort of email correspondence or requests, and you can leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out and we really appreciate it. We see you guys have been showing up and leaving reviews. It means a lot. Keep it up. If you can't support us on Patreon, subscribing on your podcast platform and leaving us a five-star review is the best way you can do it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's super helpful and helps get the visibility out there. Now, of course, can't have a Hello There episode without our music. So shout out to Low Fuel. For making a banger. Every time. I know. I'm like editing and I'm like, man, this is just bobbing my head while I'm editing. That's my favorite part when editing as well as that's like the capstone on the project, right? To enjoy the song. is, And I always <laughs> listen to it. I always listen to it. Even though I know that we start the intro at 18 seconds, I'm, like, I'm just going to listen to it for the first 18 seconds. Oh, uh, it's good. Yeah. And the outro too. It's good job, Lofield. Of course, you can find Amon and I in different places online. You can find me, Jesse, all the places. Twitter, Instagram, and Longshanks at Jesse Aiken. That's J-C-E-A-K-I-N. Check out my Marvel Crisis Protocol show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. So, Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Amon the Wargamer, and then on, on Discord, on the Shatterpoint Podcast, I'll be Amon, comma, Dark Jedi. On the MCP content, I'll just be Amon. And then for my Underworlds content, you can hear me on Path to Glory, where we will teach you how to become the best Underworlds player you can be. Excellent. We hope you guys enjoyed our core set series. We go through the core set entirely. Of course, from here onward, we will be discussing other boxes. We'll be discussing strategy. We'll be discussing list building and much more. We hope you guys will join us on that journey. But until next time, may the force be with you. Roger, roger. civilized.